Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I speak with Francis Sampaio, Deputy Director of Visitor Experience at the Chelsea Physic Garden. We discuss the transformative journey the garden has been on with its public programming calendar and the exciting and unexpected outcomes that that's brought the organisation. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Francis, it's so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming to join me. Oh, thank you so much. A long time listener. So thrilled to be here. Always lovely to hear. Well, will you be thrilled after the icebreaker questions? Who knows? Let's go. Right. I want to know, when you go out for dinner, are you a starter and a main kind of gal or main and a pudding or all three? I mean, you can have all three. I think it's, it's pudding. Pudding, especially if it's tiramisu, that's it. Decision made. Oh, yeah. Okay. So tiramisu is on the menu. That's the one you're going for. That's it. Yeah. That's the focus. Yeah. I'd probably just have that over the main, to be honest. <laughs> oh, do you know what? There is a pudding. Yeah. So there are pudding restaurants, though, aren't there, where you can oh, right. go and, yeah, there's one in Cambridge. I walked past it last week while we were in town and there's, it's basically just puddings. Oh, great. You can have a main pudding, a starter pudding, oh. and a pudding pudding. I will never go there. That's too dangerous for me. But yeah. <laughs> open invite to come and join me (laughs) I would go crumble all the way oh nice nice okay um good if you had to pick one item to win a lifetime supply of what would you pick uh probably something really boring like sunblock because I'm so pale so that that would be really handy for me because yeah well we should all wear sunscreen (laughs) yeah very very important doesn't matter about being pale more important to not have skin cancer. Very true. Very true. Okay, good. Final one. If you could be any fictional character, who would you like to be and why? Oh, that is a great question. Um, I would love to probably go into like a Regency novel, but I, I wouldn't want to be a main character. I'd probably just want to be someone on the si- sidelines who gets to see everything oh, yeah. um, and just kind of <laughs> fly you know, on the wall, fly on the wall and kind of see see everything that's happening in, in these amazing worlds. So maybe, maybe something Austin-y. Yeah, that would be great. I like it. Yeah. What's the draw to that kind of era? What's the, what's the, is it the, is it the um, architecture? Is it the clothing? What's the... You know... <laughs> Um, can I give a real um, kind of sector answer? Absolutely. Part one would be, you know, we we so often use this filming locations. So, you know, there's a lot of Regency dramas. And so that, that would be great to see kind of, you know, something happening in one of these spaces. Um, and the second is I once duty managed a kind of 18th century themed party at a site I worked where everyone was in fancy dress um, from the era. And it was amazing just seeing kind of people dishevelling as the evening went on, <laughs> you know, stockings were falling down, men had rouge on, and, you know, all of those amazing things. And just seeing that come to life was um, amazing. So I, I'd love to kind of get to see it kind of happening in, in actual um, Regency time period, as opposed to just kind of as an event in the 21st that. century yeah I love that it really kind of sets the tone for what we're going to talk about today as well the events okay (laughs) 
All right, that was an excellent answer. Thank you. Um, right, Francis, what is your unpopular opinion? So I'm not a fan of false jeopardy, which is a big component of reality TV, particularly cooking shows where someone will take a bite of food and then just the camera pauses for, you know, what feels like five minutes and they do all the close-up shots of everyone looking really tense. And I, I just, oh, I hate it. So I know it's a, you know, it's something very popular. It's in all the reality TV shows, but I always skip that bit. Uh, you know, look at my phone or do something else. Just get on with it. Just get on with it. Taste Just the get food. on with it. You either yeah. like it or you don't. We don't need the, <laughs> we don't need the drama or the tense. <laughs> Just put this poor person out of their misery, and you think it's better than anything like I could have ever even imagined I cooked. You know, and you. <laughs> just dragging this poor person's emotional journey out so yeah I just think just get over it just just do it tell them tell them whether it's good or not I like it yeah I would like that I'd just like to know yes or no don't keep me hanging around it's like yeah. it causes more anxiety than you, than you need it to be I'm definitely yeah. one of those people if someone says can we have a chat on Monday I'm like can we just do it now <laughs> because is that do we need to wait over the weekend if is it yeah. good or is it bad because <laughs> I will just think about this continuously now for the week so let's just get it out of the way Shall let's we? do it now yeah my team like me to do if I book in a catch-up we have to put you know catch-up good thing catch-up constructive thing you know yeah that's just really to help because again it is that false jeopardy thing of yeah oh no I've got to wait the whole weekend and I don't know what this meeting's about it's like it's a good thing 10 minutes it's fine don't worry that's such a that's such a good tip. That's a really good positive tip, isn't it? Yes. Mm. What? But what if it's not? What if it's not? What if it's not a good then, thing? Then I'll call it something else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, catch up. Not okay. Yeah. <laughs> catch up. It's all gone wrong. <laughs> okay. That is an excellent tip. I can take that away. I'm going to share that with the team after our call. Thank you. Yeah. Oh no, right. pleasure. We've got so much to talk about today. I'm really excited about this chat. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what they can expect at the Chelsea Physic Garden? And then and just a little bit about what your role is as well. So Chelsea Physic Garden is a four acre garden. We're in, in Chelsea, as the name suggests. And we've got over four and a half thousand plants that you can come and see. So we've got a living collection. You know, most collections in museums are behind glass, but as is living, we have to take care of it. Um, and we've got an amazing team of gardeners that do that. So we call ourselves London's oldest outdoor classroom because we've always been a place for people to come and learn about plants. So we've got a really fantastic learning team, um, but we've also got a really dynamic engagement program, which helps people connect in different ways to plants because it can be quite intimidating. I think particularly if you grew up in a city, you don't know much about nature. You might not have had a garden. Um, so it, we've got a really dynamic program, giving people lots of different entry points um, this year, we turned 350. So in September, we're opening our glass houses that have all been restored um, with support of the National Lottery Heritage Fund. So if you're going to come and visit and you've got a restoration project coming up, September is a great time to come to the garden. Um, but we always say whatever day you come, that's the best day to come because you're going to see something no one else gets to see because, yeah, flowers, flowers can change one day to the next, one hour to the next. Um, so it's a, a really special place to to come and just connect with with nature, really. So that's a bit about the garden. Now, a, a bit about my role. I've got quite a broad role. So we're a small site. We're a small team. And I think when you have a small site and a small team, you, you get jobs that actually have quite a lot within their remit. So I, as deputy director of the organisation, 
was brought in to bring a cohesive visitor experience across the site. And that meant I lead, you know, different teams that look after all of our people touch points. So visitors, learning, public engagement, volunteers, and then everything that sits behind that holistically to give people a great visit or, or to um, support them in a different way. So safety, security, facilities, interpretation, um, that, that comes under my remit as well because it's supporting that visitor experience ultimately. So it's quite a, a kind of unique role. It's really dynamic. Every single day is different. can go from planning our 10-year strategy to what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes because the toilets have all overflown or, you know, so <laughs> it's a really, uh, really dynamic role. And, um, you know, just like the garden. So it's great fun here. Yeah, it sounds it as well. I think that that when we when we spoke a few weeks ago, um, I came away from the call just thinking, wow, the remit of what you have there is is quite phenomenal the different things that you can be doing all the time but I also thought what a privilege it must be to to be there because like you say it is a living museum and it just must be incredible to see it change on on a literally on a daily basis yeah it's amazing um so we're, we're recording this just after our Easter weekend and um I had a great time on Sunday you know we were out in the garden helping people do their uh, planet hero trail to you know learn about how to be more sustainable and um the tulips just got a little bit of sun and suddenly they all opened up and they were just really expressive you know dancing kind of around and then a cloud came over and they all closed up again and you just think I I, I don't have a garden I didn't grow up you know with a garden grew up in a flat and so you know you just get to see things that you never get to see before and um it's been a real privilege to to get to learn how the garden operates over the year and, and to see, um, you know, there are plants now that I think I can't wait until May because I'll get to see that in flower. And that's nice. it's yeah, it's it's really amazing. Yeah. Wow. Well, that, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today, because as an organisation, you've been on a bit of a transformative journey with your public programming. And a lot of that is about kind of education and and getting people to kind of understand what you have there and and how things grow and how that all works together and um, but I kind of want to just go back and talk about what the starting point for this this journey what how how did that come yeah. about like where did where did that start yeah so and and it really has been a journey so I um I joined the garden back in 2018 and we had a really established program of walks, talks and workshops, so quite a formal learning programme. And it, it was really great, really established, always sold well. And I went on a conference with LEAF, which is the London Environmental Education Forum. And as I was talking to people, they heard I was from Chelsea Physic Garden and they go, oh, I love that workshop you do. We do one similar. <laughs> and, you know, I started to understand that actually our programme had been an inspiration point for a lot of people, which is great. We love a bit of professional learning, but of course that's our competitors. So, you know, that that was a starting point for me to think we need to think about something new. And then we have the a kind of emergence of the experience economy. And we had retailers on the King's Road, like um, Anthropology, running wreath-making sessions, floristry sessions. And it really alerted me to the fact that actually if we didn't, diversify our program if we didn't start thinking a bit differently not only were our competitors going to catch up but actually other sites that we would never have thought of as competitors because of the the new kind of economic model so yeah it was a really um important moment for us to to start thinking differently 
That's crazy, isn't it? Because that's the comparison that was made quite a lot, I think, during and after the pandemic is that, you know, attractions, you're now competing with things like Netflix and you would never have considered that before. So that's really interesting to hear you make that kind of comparison to retail. And that's not something that I would have considered before either. No, it was amazing. They're in you know, I wanted to sign up for a lot of these in-person yeah. classes. <laughs> I thought, oh no, right? <laughs> yeah. So, oh no, I'm I'm the you know kind of heritage uh, person, and I'm I'm being taken by the retail model. So I've got, I've got to try and bring it back. Um, so yeah, that that was a big starting point. And yeah, as you say, kind of Netflix, you can sit and watch. You know, you could sit on YouTube and just watch a plant um, grow and on a time lapse for twenty minutes. So you think, oh no, actually, you want to get out into nature. So how how are we going to get those people here yeah so what kind of objectives did you set for the program so I've I've got to be honest I'm I'm not the best at kind of setting formal objectives particularly I think because this program was really around culture change and I think whenever you bring people into doing a culture cultural shift within an organization they're going to bring new ideas so I, I didn't set kind of formal objectives and say we're going to achieve you know 20% increase in this or that um I've done that in other areas but it it didn't feel right to to do that um with our public program so what we did instead was talk about you know giving people more kind of creativity to create new programs so kind of what can we do that's new that we haven't done before what have you always really wanted to try but haven't been able to because this is the time for us to try and fail and learn and adapt. And actually what sits behind that, that the kind of team don't always pick up on is you're introducing a feedback cycle and you're saying, actually, we're going to evaluate everything. And you haven't, (laughs) we hadn't necessarily had that culture where we listened to what people responded to within our sessions that they liked, that they didn't like. So, you know, we want to start that feedback loop. Um, And then ultimately, we wanted to future proof our program. So, you know, we need new audiences. We've got to diversify our model, become financially sustainable. Um, So those are the kind of key areas I really wanted to push. Um, But I I didn't kind of set them as, you know, um, specific objectives. They they all kind of developed naturally as more people got involved. We were able to expand the ambition. And now, you know, um, five years on, we've we've got our own public program manager so it's really become embedded and you know they've they're gonna again challenge us and push us up a whole other level so it's been really brilliant to let it grow but set a kind of course I guess for how we want to deliver it and how we want to change so what I'm really interested to know what's changed so what was like what was a kind of typical program previously and what does your program look like now like how brave have people been yeah we've been pretty brave it's been a big change so I think the first area where there's really been a shift is uh, moving away from an academic forum so being a learning space for 350 years that really carried into our learning program um, and all of our public programs so uh, even you know sessions where we were getting people to do botanical soap making that started with a formal lecture really about what the botanicals were you were going to use, why they were so brilliant. Um, So we've really shifted away from that and we put that same information into our sessions, but not in a formal way. It's much more informal, um, much more exciting. And, um, you know, people learn through connecting with the plant itself, as opposed to being told with a presentation and some slides, you know, this is, 
how brilliant lemon verbena is or, or things like that. So that shift away from the academic has been really fundamental, but um, you might not necessarily notice that kind of straight away with the session. That's more in terms of the content. Um, we've also looked at our um, accessibility. So we've got a broader range of price points now, a broader range of length of sessions. So we used to have sessions that were a full day or a half day, and, and that was it. Now people are a lot more time poor. So we've got some sessions that are an hour, some that are two hours, a full day, or even uh, multiple days, you know, but people can select now what they want and there's a much better variety. So we're seeing we get a lot more um, visitors come onto a kind of two hour session instead of a four hour half day. Um, and our youth panel also talked to us about the different price points um, and, you know, making the journey a lot easier to buying a ticket. So we've got lower price points now. Um, and also you don't have to buy a ticket to the garden on top of buying a ticket to a, an event, which has been a big shift. So th those are kind of some behind the scenes things, which are pretty bold, but it's not the kind of glamorous thing. Um, but in, in terms of that kind of more dynamic programming um we did a lot during the pandemic because of being an outdoor attraction so we had some ideas that were kind of on the back burner um that we were able to bring forward so we were able to launch a plant fair when outdoor retail returned which was brilliant um we were able to introduce a series of concerts on the lawn called the lawn sessions so those music nights have stayed and also family theatre, which um, we, we hadn't done before in the garden. So we now do that every year. So we were able to bring in some, some really new programming, um, which was really bold for us as a site because we, we hadn't really um, connected with those audiences or, or felt like audiences that would go to a music night would come to the garden. So that was really great fun. Um, but the, the kind of most, uh, the most bold programme we launched was our Dash of Lavender program. So that's our LGBTQ plus history month celebration. And that happens in February. Um, so we've got a exhibition in the garden and then lots of different events from poetry nights to drawing workshops. Um, and this year our volunteer guides also got involved and they launched tours around the garden um, to tell people more about LGBTQ history and horticulture which was really fantastic because, you know, that that again is an example of growing support for the programme bit by bit and people saying, oh, OK, now I understand what this is. I want to get more involved. Um, and we've been supported through that by an amazing partner called Sixto who runs Queer Botany, who's just a, a great presence within the sector and doing amazing things. I'm sure everyone wants to work with them now, which is really frustrating for us. <laughs> we, we love Sixto. Um, but yeah, but that, that's been the kind of most dynamic programme that, that we've introduced and has had the biggest impact. But because we've done all of those smaller steps, that it felt like a really natural progression for the site to do this. Um, and it's been really accepted and understood. Whereas previously, if we'd said we're going to do a history month celebrating LGBTQ um, plus individuals, people really wouldn't have understood it. Um, so it's, it's made a huge impact. That is phenomenal to hear. It's really interesting as you were talking, 
we just go back to the the start of of this section where you were talking about the soap making oh yeah and I thought oh that sounds really interesting I'd probably like to do that but I probably wouldn't have booked onto the previous incarnation of it because I would have thought it's a bit maybe this is just a bit not for me like I'm kind of doing it because I'm interested in in the fragrances and how you make them and that kind of side of it I'm not sure I want to be lectured about the botanicals themselves so it might put me off so I guess it might put a lot of other people off so have your audiences changed since you introduced the new program and it would be interesting to know if you set out and defined what you wanted those new audiences to be and how if you've achieved that Oh, great question. So we did do some kind of planning of of new audiences and who we wanted to engage, but we also wanted to make sure we brought our existing audience and our, our members kind of along with along with us yeah. um, and make sure that they felt really taken care of. So in terms of our existing audience, and um, particularly our members, you know, they're 50% of our visitor profile post pandemic. And, you know, they're predominantly white, female, um, cisgendered, you know, able-bodied or, you know, potentially have kind of corrected sight through using glasses. They're retired. So that's our, our kind of core audience, if you will. So we wanted to make sure that we we really supported them as well. So they have had some new benefits introduced, like a quiet hour at the garden in the morning. So before uh, you know, kind of private access before everyone else comes in. We also started running coffee mornings for them. So um, social isolation is a really big challenge within the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea. So, you know, we've got some older members of our membership community. So that helps them get involved. Um, and they also get early access to a lot of our member events or a lot of our um, public programme events. So they feel like they're getting a lot of special treatment, um, but it it's you know a lot of stuff that we would have been doing anyway Um, and I think that's helped them kind of come with us on the journey as we've brought in a lot of new audiences so you know people under 40 families people living within walking distance of the garden you know within a 30 minute catchment Um, that's actually really uh, quite a disruptive um, audience to bring in against that traditional model so you know we've got people who live in Wandsworth, Lambeth, uh, Vauxhall, all really local to us who wouldn't see the garden as a place for them. We've got people living in um, Battersea who are part of the new, you know, like amazing community um, in Battersea with all these developments, but they've got the park right next to them. And we're on the other side of the Thames. So why do they want to come here? Um, So it's really helped us establish, you know, we are here for local people Um, We've got things that interest under 40s. We've got things that interest families. But throughout all of that, we've really considered um, how we're going to bring our core audience on that journey with us. So, yeah, we've tried to balance it, but it it has really changed. Were were you worried about how when you talked about what your existing kind of demographic was for your members and your audience? Were you quite worried about how they might react to some of the new ideas that you were bringing in? I wasn't really worried if if I'm completely honest I think I knew that we were going to take care of them and I knew that some people would appreciate that and some people would really enjoy you know coming in the garden for a quiet hour in the morning or coming to a coffee morning um so I knew that some of the visitors that are part of that membership community would really enjoy that 
And I thought if if they don't, that is kind of up to them to self-select and not come to the garden. But ultimately, we have to change because you can't exist for 350 years by standing still. And I think that is quite brave, I think, to say that. Um, and it's not dismissive of our, you know, kind of core audience or our existing audience. It's just saying there's space for everyone. There's space for more people here. And if you're not okay with that, you've got your quiet hour. You can come then. We're trying to accommodate you. But actually, if you want to come to Chelsea History Festival weekend, where we've got circus performers and a military band in the garden, come along to that. That's great. You're going to really have a good time if you want. So, you know, we, we kind of accepted that we might lose some visitors. And, and I unfortunately sometimes get complaints from people about, uh, you know, I've, I've ruined the garden or I've ruined the atmosphere. But for every complaint I get like that, I get, you know, 20. I would never have come here if you weren't doing this. And I discovered the garden because you had a, a poetry evening and I thought that was amazing. Or I came on the lawn sessions for a date and now I'm coming back to see the collection in the day. So, you know, it it really is worth it. And you just have to be kind of resilient and true to what you're doing and why and stick to it because we're kind of here for people and we want as many people to enjoy the garden as possible. So, you know, there has to be a bit of disruption and a bit of change. Yeah. I mean, we all like to say that we don't like change though, don't we? <laughs> You're always going to get yeah, somebody who really don't like change and it's really yeah. uncomfortable for them. But, you know, you can't stay the same for those people. Um, how do you think, because this has all happened over quite a short period of time, really, hasn't it? I mean, we can throw COVID into the mix. And I think um, I think it goes without saying, really, that everybody became a bit braver during that time because it was a time of well, you know, let's just try it. What else could go wrong, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but what do you think that you've been able to kind of change and adapt so quickly? Yeah, um, so I, I think it's it's all about people. You know, we've got a really amazing team here and they're really committed to what we're doing. Um, I kind of label it as um, persistent professional radicalism, which, uh, you know, people enjoy <laughs> they and um but you know that that's kind of what we're we're doing you know we want to make change so we have to be persistent we're going to be professional about it you know we'll we'll consider the fact that some visitors might not like it but others will and you know we've got data to support us um and then we're you know kind of radical because you know that that's just what we're doing being really bold as, as we approach things and you know this team of people that I get to work with really kind of support that and, and want to work in that way. Um, at the start, it, it wasn't, you know, we weren't all saying we're, you know, being radical at work and we're being really bold. Uh, people weren't necessarily comfortable with that. So, you know, there were a lot of conversations that we needed to have with people around giving them permission to explore new things and say, you know, what are you excited about that we've never done in the garden before that you think would be really cool that you'd want to come to? Um, or what what do you want to do and gradually people started understanding that actually there there was permission for them to try new things and to work in new ways so one of the learning team um, really wanted to learn more about podcasting so said brilliant there's a training course on podcasts you go on that you tell me why it would be good for the garden and if you can convince me I'll back you up and we'll make sure that we kind of get this going and get you the equipment you need and the space you need. So we were able to do that. And, you know, now we've got a really great podcast 
that's uh, available in all good podcast places uh, that, that you can listen to about the garden and you know it helps people that aren't here connect with it and that just came from a mad idea from one of the teams saying actually yeah, I'd really like to learn a bit more about this and, and we were able to just kind of go with it so empowering the team's been you know really key to that and then also for me I'm really lucky that our director Sue Medway is really supportive um, of kind of what we're doing and our trustee board as well have kind of become you know used to me uh, coming in and saying oh we're now uh, teaching children how to make broomsticks for Halloween so it's Such really a great idea it's so great <laughs> and it's a you know it's a sustainable way of using um twigs things like that so we use all kind of organic uh, well all materials from the garden they learn how to make them and yeah cool they're gonna pretend that they've got uh you know magic powers and can fly around the garden uh, but also they can take that home they can help with the housework they know a bit more about sustainable cleaning don't have to buy a new broom um so you know that there's all kinds of things that we're doing and people have just kind of accepted now that uh we're, we're going to do things a bit differently and uh, when they open their kind of board papers there might be something a bit you know a bit mad in there but they really enjoy it so it's great brilliant it's that is a brilliant idea and that is it kind of sums up the ethos of the whole place right you know you're you're teaching children to do something really fun with the things that you have there and they're learning about sustainability it just it's, yeah. it's absolutely perfect um, yeah, I really love that. I should probably book onto that podcasting <laughs> workshop that you talked about as well. Oh, yeah. Add that to my add that to my list of things <laughs> to do. <laughs> and when we talked a few weeks ago as well, I think you mentioned, I think you, you, you kind of mentioned like the 80-20 rule that we talk about oh, quite yeah. frequently about 80% of what you do is kind of in fixed, you know, once the program's decided, but you have that kind of 20% of flexibility where, you know, if, if something is relevant, you can go, hey, we've got a little bit of space here. Let's put something on. So that's it's nice to be able to have that level of flexibility and can I, kind of agileness about what you do. Yeah, definitely. So again, when I first joined, actually, that was something that we were uh, kind of not confident in. So by November, the whole following year would be planned. And then um, the walks, talks and workshops, leaflets that were produced um, would talk you through the whole year. So, you know, we'd printed the whole year in advance. That was it. This is the programme. We're sticking to it. So um, now we we kind of print only kind of two or three months in advance. And, you know, we also use QR codes a lot to say just check our website for what's happening. Um, and that really gives us the space to be agile. So we now programme 80%. And then it gives us that space for if you pick up a really amazing phone call from someone can do an event we get a lot of really interesting artistic projects um you know we also get some really amazing kind of sellout events and it's actually we've got to have capacity to run that event again because it was so popular uh, so yeah that that's been a really big shift is just having that kind of 80 20 um you know and it also helps the team with capacity management i think because sometimes when we get approached for things like we had this really amazing approach for um, kind of a shadow puppet theatre to come into the garden. And uh, it was a really interesting opportunity for us. It would have been a bit of a kind of learning curve, but we just didn't have capacity. And it was really good to be able to say to the team, actually, you know, we've already factored in five new events in the next four months. So do we think that we can 
build this one in as well because you know those are five new events that we haven't run before so it just made us a bit more kind of um structured in our decision making process of yeah. what we could take on and couldn't um and so that you know went on the back burner and we said we'd potentially be available in the future um but yeah it just makes us uh have decisions that are kind of really grounded it kind of I guess from what I'm saying it seems like we just say yes to everything but sometimes we do say no and think about um whether something's right for us or whether we've got capacity for it and, and yeah. that 80 20 has really helped yeah it's if it, that felt like a considered no you know not a yeah. reflex no but a you know actually with other things that we have on we don't need to do this right now we'd love to but we don't need to and that's a good position to be in to make to be able to make that kind of decision and um, I would love to know what you've learned about it all and and what's the one thing that surprised you the most about the process that you've been through oh so well I've learned a lot uh so you know kind of it's been a really amazing um really amazing journey and obviously you know I've I've learned a lot from just about our collection and and you know from our horticultural team but aside from that you know it's, it's really been about listening to people you know that your team are going to make you better. Uh, they're going to make your program better. And sometimes you have to listen to challenge and critique just as much as you have to listen to positivity. I think that gives you a, a, a lot to learn from. Um, and again, that's that feedback cycle and loop um, from earlier. I think it's really important to be excited and that makes your team excited about things and you know want to go the extra mile um, and, and put in the energy that it takes to get these things off the ground. Um, really about empowerment that's been the key to the success is just having an empowered team and I think particularly recently I've been reflecting on um, just how important it is to be grateful Um, and I think I've learned a lot about being grateful not only to the team but also to our visitors and our audiences that come here Um, you know and the fact that they've chosen to come to us uh, and and making sure that we're grateful for that so those are kind of been some recent learnings that I've been reflecting on and then in terms of surprise well I think something that I wish I could have used as my answer to your earlier question about objectives and kind of you know what you set out to achieve actually came as a surprise to me so we've had at least three staff members and um, more volunteers cite the public program as um, the way that they discovered the garden and also, you know, as part of their motivation for joining and oh, wow. wanting to apply. Yeah. So it's it's been really interesting. And I wish that I'd kind of gone into it at the beginning and kind of said, well, yeah, well, this is going to lead to an increase in, uh, um, you know, applicants for jobs and diversity of applicants for jobs. Uh, but I just didn't uh, just didn't really consider it as an outcome. And it's been great and actually one of our cafe team who cited the dash of lavender program as a motivation for joining went so above and beyond during dash of lavender this year um you know they had the inclusive pride flag all over um we had a whole range of lavender themed uh you know like macaroons and desserts and they really took it to another level because they felt like we as an organization were accepting um, of this program and therefore would just really support them to deliver what they felt was their interpretation of the program and and we did um even if that did mean you know having to have lavender themed 
macaroons every day which is you know a really hard life that sounds really <laughs> tough oh no what a shame <laughs> but yeah it was just brilliant you know because they they really took it and ran with it and that that just makes us better and um you know hopefully our visitors will enjoy that as well but yeah that was completely unexpected and that's such a an amazing outcome isn't it and like you say yeah. completely unexpected that they they've taken they've really taken ownership of it they've taken ownership of the program yeah and put more into it than you ever could have imagined yeah I'm because you know I I could never have done that and um you know I think it's you know I'm really lucky every single day here because I work with such amazing people I get to say oh brilliant you know oh great I, I get to represent everything that people have done and achieved and come up with and that's just one of those you know completely unexpected outcomes which is is delicious and um and great fun i think they even created a cocktail for out, out of hours events that uh, transformed so the cocktail started pink and then they poured in a blue gin and then it turned into a lavender color wow. so you know it was really <laughs> they really thought they really thought about this <laughs> they kind of were it was amazing yeah and just and then the visitors that came here it's just such an added benefit so yeah it was creativity comes from everywhere and it's brilliant to see that is brilliant. Yeah, uh, that's another question. Actually, is um, unexpected outcomes. So that that was yeah. one of the unexpected outcomes, which I yeah. guess you know you had no idea that that could have been one of the you know it could have been an objective that was achieved. But there's yeah. been some other things that have come out of this as well, hasn't there? Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, I think, and it comes back to that idea that eighty twenty and just having space to pick up the phone and have those conversations. So we do a lot more working in collaboration than we've ever done before. And I, I think it's maybe because we've caught people's attention as a partner and people are interested in what we're doing now, not just from that kind of leaf forum, um, but, you know, a lot more um, dynamic organisations, uh, not just kind of botanically rooted organisations. So, so many plant puns. I have to apologise. It's just what happens when you okay. want to get. We are, um, we're, we're, pun, we're pun agnostic on this, brilliant. On this show. <laughs> Um, but yeah one of my favorite activities that we've launched is uh, the Chelsea History Festival which we run in collaboration with the National Army Museum and the Royal Hospital um, which are our neighbors along the Royal Hospital Road and you know the three of our sites are really different we have really different audience bases uh, but we come together for this week-long festival each year and, you know, because of that, we've had a military band in the garden and that would never have happened if, if we didn't collaborate and, and weren't open to collaborating. Uh, we've seen a real kind of increase in visitors because of that. And what's been interesting is a lot of visitors go to the National Army Museum because they have a soft play. Um, so there's a lot of families that go there who now come here afterwards and and so they're actually going to both sites and they've got oh, that's great where yeah whereas before they might have just gone to the army museum and not known that we were here um so it's really brilliant for us to to be doing that work in partnership and the royal hospital are doing more and more to open up um, obviously their primary function is to be a care home for the chelsea pensioners that's their priority uh, but they are doing more to connect with the local community and so we're able to facilitate that maybe host some things for them um, and just continue to work um, as a trio of sites as opposed to three independent institutions which is is really exciting moving forward um, I think it's really going to change how we all operate um, 
And so that that's kind of yeah one collaboration that that we just wouldn't have happened if we weren't open to working in that way. Um, and we've also launched Crossing the Floors uh, with David uh, Hingley, who's been on the podcast. I'm sure many people know um, that initiative to kind of link up front of house teams to get experience of working in different sites. Such a great so idea. It's such an amazing idea. And we're kind of completely different as a site, as an outdoor site. So a lot of people working in places might never have got to come to an outdoor site before. Um, and they get to kind of see how we program things, how we deliver activities in a very different way, um, very seasonal way, as opposed to kind of exhibition program driven. So that's been really interesting. And yeah, other collaborations have just come from picking up the phone. Um, we do a lot of work with the University of Westminster now to help blind and partially sighted people have a multi-sensory experience in a botanical garden, which doesn't sound, you know, you think, well, yeah, of course, it's multi-sensory being in a garden, but actually you can't touch a lot of our collection a lot of it's poisonous it's going to do you a lot of harm if you touch it yeah. um so yeah how how do we kind of layer that in in a safe way so there's so much that can come from collaborating with different sites and again that just is going to improve everything we do here and we learn a lot that's so good yeah. isn't it and I guess all of those things you know yeah. by by changing the program you've changed the profile of the garden and you've raised yeah. your kind of perception or changed the perception of it to so many different audiences and now those audiences will go to the the attractions and the, and the places that are next door to them and yet you don't you know you don't suffer any visitor loss from that and likewise because they're now coming to to two of the different ones on the same day it's it's just perfect yeah, it's great. And, um, you know, hopefully in the future, we'll be able to keep building on that as three sites and, you know, continue to work together. And, you know, we're an independent charity. So every kind of penny we earn, we have to earn ourselves. NAM have got a different funding model, as have the Royal Hospital. So we've got a lot to learn as well from each other as organisations of, of how we approach things and what we need to consider. So it's even better for organisational learning as well. It's just going to help elevate everyone. And as you said earlier, I think people became a lot bolder following the pandemic in terms of sharing and, you know, wanting to help each other, whereas before we were all very isolated. So that's really helped things. Oh, it's brilliant. Thank you for coming on to share oh, this with us today. It's been so lovely to talk to you yeah, about thank it. You. Um, we always ask our, our guests to share a book that they love. So have you prepared something for us today? Yes. Uh, so that was a really hard question. And um, I thought about the book that I've gifted the most. So last year I read um, Black Tudors by Miranda Kaufman. I don't know if anyone's recommended it previously no I don't think so um so it's a really fantastic history book um and as someone who's worked at sites with kind of Tudor history in the past it completely blew my mind to hear about how dynamic the range of black people were in Britain and beyond um in the Tudor times because we we really don't get to hear about that I think kind of in traditional academic circles so it's a great read um and I yeah I've given I think I gifted about five copies of it last year so I think people would uh, yeah it's just brilliant and I I hope someone gets to enjoy it well listeners uh, as ever if you want to listen if you want to win a copy of Francis's book you know what to do head over to our Twitter account um, and if you retweet this episode announcement with the words I want Francis's book then you might get the chance to 
for, for us to gift you, us to gift it to you, not Francis. She can save her <laughs> pennies this time. Um, thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a pleasure. I don't know, you've sold it to me. I mean, I want to come and make a broomstick and some soap. Yeah, soap and a broomstick. That's the... <laughs> it's like, that's like my perfect day out. <laughs> that's our tagline for 2024, actually. Just soap visit a... garden, soap and a broomstick. Sold. <laughs> I'll order my ticket in advance. <laughs> thanks, Francis. Oh, thanks, Kelly. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.